This is Got Punctum, a podcast exploring creative practice and the bookmaking process with contemporary photographers. I am Jay Sibella Smith. I created this platform to share inspiration, challenges, and resources on creativity and to initiate a global dialogue. Welcome to our unscripted conversations. Welcome everyone who's here on our live photo book book group and welcome to those listening to us on our podcast, Got Punctum. I'm Jay Sibella Smith and I created this platform for artists, photographers, academics, and bookmakers to share ideas, challenges, and resources. My intention is to engage and sustain an interactive dialogue on creative practice and the bookmaking process. My work is all about concept development. As a curator, educator, and consultant, my medium is the creative process and practice. I am especially interested in how our own observations and awareness show up in our work. It is why I created my concept-aware framework. It is because I believe as visual creatives, we have a responsibility to explore how we see and why it matters. So Billy, I was so fortunate to attend the panel for Lisa Kessler's solo exhibition, Heart of the Wound at the Howard Uzerski Gallery. It was there I met you and encountered your strikingly beautiful book, Reconciliation. Lisa's work chronicles the Boston clergy sex abuse from the multivariant view of the survivors, the archdiocese, and the media. Your panel was titled Images as Action and Reflection, and it was described as a conversation around igniting change, pausing for reflection, and our shared commitment to looking as an opportunity for transformation. In her introduction, Lisa noted, your images are getting at things, that's a quote, getting at things (laughs) beyond religion and institution. I can assure you, being at your talk was transformative for me. We will include a link to the talk in our summary and episode notes. So in reviewing your work and getting to know a little bit more about you, I was struck by a thread I see woven between all of your bodies of work. In each, I see you bearing witness. You bring a perseverance to being in relation with darkness. You name the darkness, however, are not consumed by it. I believe you ennoble the darkness. You bestow honor and respect its layered and complex composition. You are patient in looking for the moments and the movements of light. You have forbearance. You have faith there is light. You bring forth presence by your witness. You remind me of a thought shared by Teju Cole when he says, there is important information in the shadows. It is this you generously deliver to your viewers. In all the subject matters you explore visually, you offer a viewer an invitation. You give us an opportunity to consider the whispers of wisdom that darkness holds for us us individually and collectively. And I love when I'm researching and reading about someone thinking about their process and a quote appears, which helps me articulate the essence that I'm picking up on and I wish I could describe. So I came across one uh, in a book called Culture as Catalyst. And this quote is by Lucille Clifton. 
she's talking about her craft, but I think it reflects you and your craft. Lucille Clifton says, I don't write out of what I know. I write about of what I wonder. And then just yesterday, I came across another apt quote, and this is from Barbara Boswell's, Bosworth's book, One Star and a Dark Voyage. And in it, she says, well, she's quoting, she's quoting Charles Wright. It's the first quote. And it says, the visible carries all the invisible on its back. So in Reconciliation, you have compiled 40 images in five chapters from the 100 photographs you took of confessionals across the United States with a large format camera and available light over a decade. You animate what I learned St. Augustine defines the sacrament of reconciliation, and that is a visible sign of invisible grace. So we have a lot to unpack as we talk about how you, Billy C, and all the ways in which it matters. So welcome. Thank you, Siv, for such a, a generous um, introduction. That was that was really moving. Um, and thank you to everyone who's um, taking time out of your Thursdays to, to be here with us today. Um, I'm really grateful. Thank you. Me too. Um, I have to be reminded to go through the PDF sometimes, <laughs> but I will do that now while I'm thinking of it to move off of um, the cover, which we'll get to talking about some of your um, design decisions. Um, but my first inquiry is this. Um, in researching, I learned that you leaned into Emily Dickinson's sense mm -hmm. of circumference and her use of it being that liminal, liminal, which I think gets overused, but liminal yes. space. <laughs> yeah. That what's between the known and the unknown, the seen, the not seen. Mm -hmm. And what kind of um, struck me is that I think you were inspired by her and then made that and developed that concept as your own. And I guess I'm stating something and then asking, am I correct, that I think you use corners. Mm. And uh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I, I mean, as, 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 as liminals, as, as like, again, I think the word liminal is overused too, but yes, as these kind of like threshold spaces or spaces that sort of get at a kind of in-betweenness. Absolutely. I almost thought of it as intersections. Yeah. Like, um, Bachelard has a great quote about corners that I can't remember exactly right now, but basically it's saying that they're, that they're kind of like the, the germ of the room where, you know, that, that, hold, that holds like all these like cobwebs, all the spaces of, um, that, that where, you know, pe people's memories and desires and dreams sort of get caught in these small corners of a space. And so I do kind of get drawn into those corners as a way of thinking um, what's beyond and then what's, what's inside of the, um, at, the, at, the, at the same time, they're, they're useful metaphorical um, I guess, structures for me. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of that? Or are uh, you? Not at first, of course. I don't think I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not that kind of, um, I wish I, I wish I was that prescient to sort of like um, be able to sort of manifest my ideas exactly. But when I began the confessionals, they certainly didn't begin by focusing on the corners and same with the Dickinson work. This is another project I did of Emily Dickinson's bedroom. Um, I didn't begin the project knowing that that's what I was going to focus on. Because mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. I think it's easier as an outsider sometimes to see. Mm -hmm. um, I remember once reflecting to someone uh, in a portfolio re review and she said, you know my work better than I do. And it's like, <laughs> no, I don't. I just can see it from a different perspective, mm -hmm. which I think, you know, it is because I looked at your different work that I saw a, a drawnness to corners and then that it hit me. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems like your portal um, into that space. Who was the person that you just said was the quote? Oh, um, Gaston Bachelard. Okay, um, great. Yeah. And we'll I think go it's, back. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was curious about that. So what what is the etiology of this particular project? What led you to start this project? 
Um, the confessionals began when I was actually in grad school. So that's almost over 10 years ago. Um, and I was living in Boston and I'd been interested about several different related strands. Um, I was interested in Catholicism sort of exploring my background growing up Catholic and my family, the way that sort of the culture of Catholicism. I was interested in ideas of forgiveness and the rituals that our culture has for forgiveness. And I'd been interested in the confessional as a space for quite a, a long time. Um, there's these connections that I've always seen between the con confessionals and um, photographs and the camera. Um, I like the fact that I love the ideas of confessionals. So confessionals, I think of as these, um, these dark boxes that hold the traces of all the people who confess. So all the marks and scratches on the walls and floors are sort of these evidence of past sinners. And then when you go into a confessional to confess, you're sort of surrounded by all of these past marks, right? All these past voices kind of surround you. So you go in searching for redemption and forgiveness, and you're sort of surrounded by all these other traces of past confessions. And so I think of the, you know, that's, there's a similarity between that and the idea of the camera or the sheets of film that I'm using, that the camera is this kind of dark box, this dark rectangular box that holds the traces of the light that comes through, just like the confessional is this dark box that holds the traces of all the voices that are in the space. And so I wanted to explore that connection and then weave it in with, my, with the other ideas that I've been thinking about around Catholicism and forgiveness. Wow. So I love that analogy and I'm curious that you don't articulate that further within the book. You mean in an essay? Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that would have been a good idea. <laughs> I'm not sure, but it's like, it's like, wait a minute, I didn't find that. And I looked in all the corners, but I mean, it's really interesting. And I love that you're able to give us that because um, mm -hmm. that's a metaphorical inspiration. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot more to say about that. I think that's really interesting. Obviously, it spurred you to go for years looking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, what, tell us about your looking. Um, about even, what even, even less metaphorically, but how do you actually thought, I need to look at a <clears throat> lot of these spaces or how this kind of unfurled as about the light and about the available light? Um, well, let's see, the, the project began very different from, from how it is now. Mm -hmm. um, I began the project actually thinking that I would make images that were more typological and then certainly realized that that wasn't exactly the way that I photographed, that I was, as you said, more interested in the light and more interested in the, in the abstractions of the spaces. Um, I was interested in making sp images that describe what it feels like to be in the confessional rather than images that describe the exterior of the confessional. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess the, the, the keep going, like what, what made me keep going with the project. I think one, it was learning constantly how to photograph the spaces. They're not, you know, they're, they're these very, they're very small rooms and I'm there with my clunky camera and the tripod. Um, uh, and so there was this, this way that once I figured out a way to sort of inhabit or insert myself into this sort of this, this, the smallness of the space, I wanted to see, keep, keep pushing it, see what I could develop. Um, there's, you know, just sort of from a, you know, maybe a sociological perspective, um, given the history of Catholic immigrants in the United States and the different communities where they were, there was a, a wide variety of the confessionals in different cities and different places that I visited. And yet at the same time, there would be these certain um, architectural details that would, that would repeat that I would find over and over again, certain things like this kind of plastic material that would be of the grate or this use of, um, of, um, oh my goodness, why well, can't I remember the soundboards, the board, the, those like boards mm -hmm. that, um, pegboard, that like. yeah, like a pegboard, they sell them at like Home Depot, right? These boards that absorb sounds when you're, when you're putting in a basement or something so, like yeah, that. Yeah. Homo, so, yeah. And so those would be in all of the, those, those, those also sort of repeated in different, you know, whether I was in the West coast or the East coast, so you, you would find those in confessionals and yet there'd be, and that there'd be some spaces like the one we're looking at right now, where you'd find these instances, that would be completely different from any other place. So there was this kind of, this kind of hot, this kind of, um, this idea of collecting, right? This as a photographer, as collector, right? That I that I that I fall into, and so just wanting to see what I could find, um, what I could what I could discover if I kept looking. That's so interesting, and I like that the photographer is collector, and so all of a sudden that the project brings a life of its own, driven by your curiosity mm -hmm. of like what else can I find? Because mm -hmm. I mean, we have a few examples of how 
unique they are. This is what made me say the pegboard, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Absorbs this yes, sound. Yes. And mm -hmm. um, ironic that there's literally stains on this wall. It's like another mm -hmm. metaphor that's being layered in there. Mm -hmm. There was mm -hmm. one other, I'm not sure if it's further down. I won't rush through, give people a moment to look at these, but um, how did it progress in terms of what you were looking at in Catholicism or, or around reconciliation or uh, what were mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. you were talking about um, seeking redemption. Mm -hmm, did, mm -hmm. did that also continue to unfurl or, or, or lead you somewhere? Yes. And I'm not sure about seeking redemption, but um, I think I was not that you were oh, seeking oh, oh. redemption. Sorry. No, you used the term that these were spaces where people were oh, seeking. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not you. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of, I mean, it, you, you led me to believe you were exploring mm -hmm. your own relationship to Catholicism and then Catholicism's relationship yeah. to this space for those seeking redemption. So I'm yeah. curious how that level of your explore took life. Yeah, um, I guess maybe maybe uh, maybe two folds. Um, there's like maybe two aspects of that. Um, so one is I did a lot of research into the history of um, the, and the theology of confessionals, mm -hmm. um, and I could um, I've given like whole talks. I, I could I could talk for a long time about the history of confession. I won't I won't do that now. But there's certain things that I learned about the way that they. Um, the, the way that the history of the way they are and the way they relate to the theology. And I was really interested in the way that this, the, um, the architecture as structure is kind of this embodiment of theology. It's this sort of this abstraction made physical, right? So you're supposed to go into the confession and the darkness of these spaces and the smallness of the spaces is supposed to reflect the darkness of you as a, as a sinner, right? Your dark interior. And then the idea that it's necessary to, to, to confess out loud, right? That the idea of saying your sins, making them heard was the only way to sort of get them out of your body. I love that idea. And then the idea of, um, of redemption coming from beyond. So in the early days of the, you know, when of, of confessionals, when they were first being designed, there was no electricity. And so the rooms would be completely dark and light was always in the, where the priest sat. So these are all perspectives from where the penitent would sit. I'm never photographing from where the priest is, but there would usually be a stained glass window or some sort of um, or some sort of you know opening above where the preset so light would come from there and then shine on you this penitent kneeler in, in, in the confessional and so this idea of light always coming from someplace else and then animating you I found um, that really fascinating so I, again I love the idea of all of this theology sort of becoming manifest and kind of dramatic um, in the confessional mm -hmm. and then I'm not sure if this is the answer to your question but I'll keep going and then this yeah. idea of reconciliation of this idea of sort of bringing together different paradoxes in the space, right? So these are spaces of, um, you know, they're places of sin and grace and dark and light and um, secrecy and revelation, right? So that all of these paradoxes that sort of come together, like that's why I chose the term reconciliation um, versus, you know, there's this whole history of reconciliation versus penance in the history of the confessionals. But I like the idea of these spaces that sort of reconcile or bring together um, paradoxes or contradictions. Like you can never actually fit them together, right? You're never able to sort of subsume one with the other, but there is a space where they can kind of coexist, where these contradictory impulses come in together into one space. And so I think that was um, part of what, um, part of the idea around the spaces that drew me into them. Absolutely. It was interesting because part of what I ended up um, thinking about, and I wanted to talk a little bit about confession specifically, I for one was raised Catholic. I for one have a hilarious memory of confession because this is pre, um, okay, seat belts and cars for all the kids. And we used to pile <laughs> into a station wagon and be brought by varying parents. And it would be a gaggle of kids, sometimes my siblings, sometimes not. And we would talk about what we were going to say. And we were like, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to use it. And we literally had this hilarious experience of like going in. So anywho, I don't need to go down that path. But to say that I have a really interesting um, relationship as well. And I know that as the church went through different um, iterations at the moment, they're not using confessionals. There's literally a room. You're both in the same chairs. You're facing mm -hmm. each other. All the lights are on. It's a very different setup. However, um, I did think a lot about paradox. And that's one of the things that I was going to put in my introduction that I think you 
you hold paradox and how difficult that is and how unpracticed we are at doing it. It is mm. so much easier to jump into the darkness and all the darkness or the light and all the light, but to mm -hmm. stand there and hold the space, that is unique or I'd say rare. Mm. And it's so, so important. So paradox to me and your ability to hold it and be engaged with it um, completely comes across. Um, I think it's it's fascinating. And I did learn, because I didn't know this, you know a lot more about the history of the Catholic uh, practice, but that it began in 1250 with an edict, but was really proliferated in the 17th century. That's the... And then it didn't change yes. until Second Vatican. <laughs> it's like amazing. <laughs> So it stayed that way for 200 and what, 50 years? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. And so going, going back to something that you just said, thank you. What you said about paradoxes was really mm -hmm. lovely, um, Sib. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that right now there are these reconciliation rooms, but going, um, you know, bringing in um, the word. They that do Lisa, say reconciliation. Sorry, room. that's right. No, no. That's a, they call them reconciliation rooms. Yeah. Um, but that. a lot of the priests that I that I talked with over the years said, well, you know, because of the priest abuse scandal, nobody wants to go into these rooms anymore. And so there's this pushed back a little bit towards the confessional because it feels as if the confessional is a little bit, <laughs> a little bit safer, wow. um, which is this really strange. Um, the strange ways in, in, in which the, um, or the really depressing ways, you could say. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think that was part of the power of that panel, yeah. bringing together all the different layered, layered complexities um, of what each of you were speaking to. Um, that literally you all held paradox, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is why it was such a transformative experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel really, really lucky to, to be working with, um, to be working with Lisa um, and to have met Kathy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, you know, just to underscore the piece about, um, paradox, I think we, uh, we have such a, a, a difficult time holding on to complexity. Um, mm. You could even look at our everything sociopolitically, um, you know, making things boil down to these absolutes, which is like, sorry, mm -hmm. but there's rarely any absolute, kind of like you're breathing, you're alive, you're not breathing, you're dead, that's an absolute. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, there's a lot of room for experience, conjecture, etc. So um, the fact that we hold on to things so long is fascinating, like that 250 year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, got it. Well, I wanted to ask just in terms of um, circling back to some of your other work or talking about it in this work, how you use signs and symbols, because I think you're nimble with that. I was really interested when I learned that your, your, your dad was, a, I think, an engineer and, and <laughs> made these spaces of parking lots and you photographed parking lots, but took out the paint that made the spaces where the car went. Mm -hmm. I was <laughs> fascinated by that. So like, could you speak to your use, your, mm. I don't want to use the word playful because that's not mm -mm. what you're nimble and there's actually a courageousness and there's a purposefulness. So, so I think I'm picking at this part of like, do you know how many things you hit at the same time or <laughs> not? I don't think, I don't think that'd be possible, but it feels like your curiosity gives us all these spaces. Oh, thanks. I like that. Um, it's funny. I always think of my my images as sort of so empty, right? As the, um, but I think that you're right that there are there are these symbols that are in them at the same time. Um, I should say my, my dad didn't design the the parking garages that I photographed, but he does design he does design parking garages, yeah. right? It was just um, links, and yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I photographed the ones that were in my hometown. Um, and then um, yeah, I guess I'm I'm interested in ways that we can um, create meaning. Right, the ways that we as um, a culture and ways as individuals um, try and understand the world and try and see the world and try, yeah, try and try and make sense of things. I think that's one of the reasons why I was interested in, I'm interested in religious topics, right? The way I'm interested, you know, engineering is sort of the same and science is sort of the same. We're all trying to figure out mm -hmm. how do we, how do we make sense of the messiness 
um, of the worlds. And then how do we see these kinds of paradox and layers that you're, you're talking about? Um, there's this um, book that I, and I, have, I haven't finished reading the book yet. It's the author, um, um, I think it, her last name is Lerman, but anyway, she talks about the way when um, religious seeing sort of changes the, um, the seer, right? It sort of allows, sort of it's this practice of seeing something that's not there, of um, seeing, of learning to see God, like learning to see the world as having this sort of embodiedness to it. And I'm interested in the way that I think photography allows for that, right? I think in some ways there's a lot of connections between a photographic way of seeing and maybe a religious way of seeing that we sort of photographers sort of see the world as having all these different layers and signs and symbols embedded in them and trying to pull them out and sort of create images that point to them in the same way that a kind of religious way of seeing and understanding the world has, you know, sort of teaches you, you to see something more than maybe what is always there. It's a very generous understanding of religion. I understand that, but um, one, of the, one of the things that draws me to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could say religion, philosophy. I actually, philosophy, think, of, yeah. I actually think of dance. Yes. I think that that's, mm -hmm. I, I, I have been known, I don't get through a dance performance like dry eyed and it doesn't matter yes. what it is or where it yes. is. And it's, it's, I think it's just that, um, yeah. but you made me think of something. Was that book by the choreographer, sometimes choreographer? Um, Cause I feel like it's on the tip of my brain. It's about ways of seeing or something. Choreographer. Oh, I don't know. I, I would thought, love it. I, I'm going to have to find my book okay. and you find your book okay. and we'll put them in our references. But that would, that yeah. would be great. No, I, I love, yeah. um, I love contemporary dance. Um, yes. Yeah. I think there's, mm -hmm. yeah, there's yeah. a lot in there. Um, but you made me think of something else with the symbols. I felt like um, by your taking away the parking spaces, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here in, it's as if um, you're bringing light <laughs> to some of the things that we are so quickly, that we quickly buy into without questioning, mm -hmm. right? So, so the parking space is this, like it's a rule, right? Yeah, Here's, yeah. And it's telling you what to do and you're supposed to do it and you can get in trouble if you don't or mm -hmm. whatever. And so by removing it, you're asking to look at that relationship that we buy into and don't even think about, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. I feel like that's, Oh yeah, no, I mean, if you want to be Freudian about it too, right? Like if there's, it's my, it's my father, right? Who likes creating these spaces that you have to follow in a very particular way. And so I'm, I'm getting rid of all of that. Um, all of those spaces that, you know, that, that way of understanding the world in a very sort of um, linear um, way, right? I, I say that, you know, if my father is about following orders, then I'm about sort of taking those order, taking that order away. And I sort of think that I've created spaces that have a, that have a certain purpose to them and trying to create spaces that are perhaps a little bit more um, disordered or unsettling or uncomfortable that don't have this kind of certainty of lines and directions that we're always, or the easy lines and directions that we're always searching for in the world. Mm, yeah, well, interestingly, okay, I got to hold on to a lot of things here to unpack it. The whole idea of, I think you make, you, you are expansive. So I, I don't look at it and think of disordered. I think of it as expansion mm -hmm. and okay, that you're yeah. literally taking away so that we see other options mm -hmm. or see what we're buying into that we don't even own that mm -hmm. we are. So there's mm -hmm. that whole certainty thing. Um, so I think you're doing that with Catholicism too, not mm. or, or take it out of Catholicism and just put it into um, atonement, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. idea that that there is not um, a cure, right? We mm -hmm. can talk about it, we can get it out of our bodies, but we still have to live with some things that we can't change or that will never. Like you know, it's right. an, it's an interesting circular thing. Right. Um, so I hear you doing that, and then I just have to laugh about the the father and the Freudian, my father was a train engineer and um, me and time are not friends. And my father, I'd, I'd be going for a train and he'd say, what time is it? And I said, 9.30. And he's like, it's 9.26. And if you're there at 9.30, there's no train. And I'm like, yeah, like we totally do not run on the same track at all. So just had a hearty chuckle about that. But I did have something I was going to save to the end, um, but I'm going to read it. And this is what I mean about forgetting about even sharing a visual I do forget. Um, so let me do two things. 
I'm going to talk about this and I'll get to my quote after. Um, I did take this from the one essay that is in the book um, by Kristen Valdez Quad, is it? Or Quaid? Uh, Quaid. 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 And uh, they write, I don't belong to this parish father. I just confess here. I don't want to be shaking the hand after mass of the man who's heard all I have to say. I'm sorry, father, so sorry, heartily sorry. And I found her essay a bit of a gut punch <laughs> in like, what was it three pages? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Maybe two. Yeah. So can you talk about how you conceptualize this or even worked with the writer about this? Um, yes. So I'd been trying to figure out for um, a long time. Um, yeah, an essay that could go to with the um, with the um, with this image mm -hmm. and um, I with the with the book and so I had spent some time um, you know going through all these old texts like there's lots of lots of short stories and lots of novels where confessionals play play a role and I just want to a shout out to um, this wonderful um, Sarah Saint Antoine a friend who also helped me with this who like found all of these texts but they were usually um, always texts by men and they were usually always texts in confessionals in Europe so there aren't a lot of American writers that write about confessionals um, and then I read Kristen Valdez Quaid's um, um, book, uh, which is called Five Wounds. She had a short, sorry, her, her um, Night at the Fiesta is her um, short stories and Five Wounds is her novel that just came out. Mm -hmm. I read her short stories and they were about Catholicism in the present day from a woman's perspective. And there just weren't many authors that were doing that. And so I sent her a cold email and asked if she'd be willing to write for the book. Um, and she agreed. And I wanted some sort of voice that would sort of be the voices that were in these confessionals, right? These spaces that are empty. How do you bring the people that would have been in these spaces that, what, um, back somehow, somehow into the book, the sort of the voices that were left behind? And I think that's what she captures really beautifully, like the voices that were left behind in the spaces. Um, and she makes them, you know, they're their contemporary voices, they kind of get at the, um, the fact that Catholicism in America is a lot of these different experiences. It's, it's not just this sort of um, European immigrant anymore. It's, um, a, a very, it's, a, wide, it's, a, it's a, a wide variety of different um, vantage points and perspectives that make up Catholicism in the United States right now. And so she sort of makes the spaces more contemporary. Um, yeah, and so I just feel really grateful that she, for, um, for her um, collaboration and contribution. Yeah, so did that after the cold email, you opened up a discussion? Yeah, we got, um, we um, spoke on the phone um, for a while. Um, and then she um, agreed to, to write for the book. I sent her some of the images. And then she, a few months later, sent this back. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you expressed that you were looking for a written embodiment, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she was wow. uh, yeah, very generous to contribute this, yeah. Yeah, well, she super nailed it and <laughs> did, like, I almost feel like as you read it, the, um, it's like short stories, right? It's this yes. almost like free association of, of, mm -hmm. of voices, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. She's, and she's, a, she's a fantastic short story writer. So, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's what. I was going to get into this a little later, but I do need to ask about your design choices mm -hmm. because I thought they were very thoughtful and very intriguing. Mm -hmm. um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So again, I was, um, I was really lucky to work with um, Everything Studio um, in Brooklyn, Jessica Green and Tom Griffith. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I met them through the, um, I had a piece published in Cabinet um, many years ago, not many years ago, but a few years ago, and they, mm -hmm. they did the design work for Cabinet. And so I reached out to them asking if they had any designers that they'd recommend because I really loved their work and they said they'd be interested in taking on the project. Um, and so um, I think what I was, there was a couple things that I wanted from the book. Um, I wanted it to have this kind of um, rhythm or repetition that kind of mimicked a religious, uh, like a prayer book or a missalette, you know, that you find in the, in the church. Um, and so that's, that's why it's divided up into these chapters. Um, so that there's, the, the, the book isn't, um, there's, no, there's nothing narrative about the book, right? It's not about going from one place and going to the other. Um, it's, it's about, um, 
it's uh, there's no there's, there's no there's no pro there's no progress right religious texts are all about this kind of circularity um, about returning to someplace again and again and so I wanted that from the book um, but I also didn't want it to feel um, and I don't know the right I don't know I've struggled with the right word for this what I don't didn't I didn't want it to feel kitsch like I didn't want it to traffic in as a, a kind of kitschiness I wanted it to actually have a kind of contemporary feel to it while using the same language of something that was a little bit older. Um, and so the, the red uh, pages and the red text on red was Jessica's idea. Um, mm -hmm. And I was really grateful for that because it sort of slows you down as you're looking. It sort of brings you into this kind of feel that I think is a little bit contemplative, but it feels contemporary at the same time. Very. Um, it was so interesting because initially I was thinking about, you do also quote um, Dorothy Day mm -hmm. and she talks about the ugly gray drab. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, was, was it in reference to that? But then also I thought the way that the text and page color, which is what we tried to mimic here, um, mm -hmm. I lightened it just so I could read it. In the book, you have to hold the book. I mean, I'm holding it right here to get it in a mm -hmm. particular place to actually see, the, mm -hmm. you're not gonna get, cause I'm blurred, sorry, the yeah. copy. Um, that was so, so subtle. And I think for me, that also spoke to this idea of kind of when I spoke of wisdom coming in a whisper, it's kind of like truth coming, like it's it's mm. not a glaring big contrast. Sometimes it's very <laughs> subtle, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, and I also thought of the, the church, uh, the, at least in Catholicism, there is a use of um, what you would, they're sometimes called royal colors, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The rich reds and purples and when that's used. Mm -hmm. um, but you also um, taught me something in your other work, Blue Ground, because mm -hmm. you were working there with a different color. So I, I wanted <laughs> to ask about color and, and how you work with that. Um, it's funny, I always think I'm going to not work with color, and then I always end up working with color again. Um, how do I work with, um, I guess, I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated by, um, by, the, by, by the inability to sort of, um, us to grasp or name color, like color is so slippery and so elusive. Mm -hmm. And it has all of these wonderful um, symbolic connotations in our culture, like I think as people were just so gravitated and animated and moved by color. Um, and so I, I guess I try and find ways, I'd say I try and find ways to work with color quietly. Um, um, because I think color is, can, you know, color can, can, can speak really loud. And then how do you, how do you, how do you use color in a way that, that can, yeah, that can be quiet at the same time? That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. One, of course, how we have over gendered color yes. um, and that there's just so many ways we use it. But you taught me um, this idea that um, I have a quote, blue being 10 percent of flowers and the hardest color for the human eye to perceive mm -hmm. and that it's strange and strong, fragile and exposed. I mean, it's one of those colors that uh, that gives you that intersection mm -hmm. right um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I it's, mean there's so, so so many authors have written really beautifully about the color blue I you know I, I love I love Rebecca all of that Solnit. yes yeah. yes Rebecca Solnit's beautiful yeah and Maggie Nelson um who's that then, I don't know um, that Maggie Nelson um Bluettes is her is, is her book about okay. blue which, I, which was really really influential Solnit I love also Solnit yeah I, I always assign that essay <laughs> to, to students um no, that's a great one yeah yeah well it's interesting you I can see why you and she would be aligned because she really tries to get into those cobwebby corners um mm. in a in a similar way and I was also reminded um we spoke to Sig Harvey on her oh, book yeah. Blue Violet and in terms of color and mm -hmm. where that goes. So uh, anyone listening who wants to go back to refer, we, we get into that as well. Uh, nice um, yeah. yeah, and the impact on all of us, it's, it's quite fascinating. I'm gonna go through a few more slides. Um, I learned also that sometimes, talk about generous and patient, you had 40 minute exposures. Yeah, very often that would, 
that would happen because the confessionals were really dark. Um, and I don't know, and because of reciprocity, right, the film, I, you know, basically I was pushing the film to the utter limits of what it could be. I wanted there to be a lot of depth of field in the images. So I'm always mm -hmm. shooting, I'm always using like a, a very small aperture, but then the, these spaces would be really dark. I didn't want, the, if I turned the light on, that's not how you experience them, but I still at the same time wanted to reveal what you could see. Um, so I would, I'm essentially sort of really just pushing what the film could do um, and photographing, um, yeah, so, so a lot of the a lot of the exposures would be up to 40 minutes and I would just open the shutter of the camera and then just sort of sit there and wait, you know, the, the best times for me photographing were when the church was empty and I just sort of could just sit there and 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 wait. Sometimes I'm, I didn't have the luxury of doing that. I would only have like a, a time box time to be in the, a time box frame to be in the church or there'd be other people around me. Um, but when I could, I would have these really long exposures. And I think what those, that allowed me to do is really transform the confessionals into ways that you really couldn't see with your eyes because the long exposures really, they sort of create these sort of strange shadows and these sort of strange plays of light in the spaces that aren't what you would see if you were in these churches visiting them. They don't have that sense of, um, that, that quality of light. These are just sort of very photographic ways of describing the spaces as a re result of those long exposures. And so it's a way I think of, yes, yeah, of, trans of transforming the confessionals into something maybe a little bit less um, literal. Yeah, but it makes me go back to your original connection between the camera and the mm -hmm. confessional, right? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's echoing that. How did you actually find where to go, choose where to go, fund where to go? <laughs> I don't normally, yeah. I get so into the concept, <laughs> I don't always ask some of the most basic <laughs> questions, but I think yeah. that would be interesting. So um, I would um, usually call ahead of time. I would always call ahead of time to the churches and get permission to photograph before I would go in. And so sometimes that would be just the church secretaries giving me, giving me permission and saying, you know, why don't you come after morning mass on a Monday? So I'd come after morning mass. Sometimes it, the priests would, wouldn't, would want to meet with me beforehand. So sometimes I would meet with the priest ahead of time. There's been times when I've had to go to the priests and have like coffee with them ahead of time and talk to them about the project or the priest would want to show me around the church. Um, so that would happen a lot of times um, as well. Um, and um, and then and then I would get and then I would get access to go in um, um, and make and make the images. And um, sorry, I lost I lost my train of thought um, a, a little bit. But and and um, but I would usually I would usually choose the churches based on how they looked from the outside. So I wouldn't usually do a lot of scouting ahead of time. And then also the confessionals were locked. So if I'd go into a church and I'd see a church one way, the confessional would be something completely different, anyways. Um, and so it'd usually be where I'm traveling or um, that I would, that would dictate where I'm photographing. So places that I had friends or places that I had family that I could stay with. So interesting. So you were drawn by the, again, architecture or whatever. Mm -hmm. did, yeah. How did you explain your project to the secretary mm -hmm. or the priest? <laughs> Um, I would usually say that I was interested in the architecture of the confessionals, the history of confessionals. And usually there would, I mean, they are spaces that, as you mentioned, they're being transformed into these reconciliation rooms. Um, and so there was this understanding of them as being as spaces that needed to be documented. Um, but at, at, this, at the same time, the, the churches, um, you know, kind of, it's, the church is a mess and they would be very, a lot of priests were very, um, not not wanting someone to come in there and make pictures yeah. there's a lot of skepticism about about you know about my perspective um i would usually i i i taught catechism so i would usually i i knew, I knew what i was talking about from a theology perspective and so i could bring that to them and, and, and so that and that helped a little bit yeah you actually had to form trust yeah uh yeah super interesting and we can unpack this at some point too but the whole idea of talk about circular, um, you know, supposed to be providing protection, mm -hmm. abusing that, and mm -hmm. then now being leery of uh, being exposed. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So weird. We could also go off on the metaphor of exposure, but yeah. But I, <laughs> yeah. What's really amazing, and I hadn't thought about this for a long time. My mom had a few different uh, pieces of her career, but her last one was a parish secretary. 
Oh, wow. I, and honestly, I wasn't thinking about that because it wasn't her ultimate one, wild, mm -hmm. but she went into actually being a computer aide in an elementary school oh. as a retiree. She did it literally <laughs> into her late 70s. So anyway, I forgot about that and how often, you know, her little slice into there. Yeah, you really yeah. brought back a lot of memories for me. That is so interesting. Um so go ahead. What were you? you... Well, I, was, I was just going to say that that's actually what helped soften my perspective of the church, right? Because I went into these, I went into this project with a very sort of negative understanding of the church, but it was through these interactions with people like the parish secretaries um, that um, realized that made me realize that I had to show a more complex understanding of the spaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> It's not the time to talk about a lot of the things that I could talk about there. Yeah. I mean, the real uniqueness of all the individuals. Mm -hmm. um, I was exposed to that and, and yeah. both. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very, very much so. But that's interesting because it sounds like you did have a bit of a transformation, too. Yeah, I think I think it's realizing that. Um, you know, I, I kept thinking of, you know, of my grandmother, right, who went to church almost every day and, right, who had all of, my grandmother was Italian, and so she had all these, like, saints set up in her house, right, and, and so I realized that, you know, her experience wasn't the institution per se, it was her own perspective, and so how do I, how do I honor my grandmother's experiences while also understanding the, the problematics of the institution? Believe me, I've been in that expando experience for a very long time. <laughs> Um, and then bridging it with my own raising of my family and my mm -hmm. children. Um, mm -hmm. My Irish grandmother, uh, based in the Bronx, used to sprinkle us with holy water before we <laughs> left. And there'd be a mass of kids, right? And she'd just be sprinkling us. And we were all like, <laughs> and then she's yelling at us to make the sign of the cross. So the whole thing was hysterical, right? I mean, it, all the contradictions. I grew up with lots of those. Really, really interesting what you made me think of. Um, I wanted to get to a couple more pieces because we do have another quote or two. This one I liked a mm -hmm. lot. Uh, this is also from Cabinet, which we'll put a link in in our episode notes and summary um, by um, George Pronix. Um, Prochnik, I believe is how you Prochnik. pronounce it. Prochnik, I believe. Yep. And yeah, he yeah. said, the smooth glass cages of our own devices will preserve no physical relics of our psychic suffering. That really amazed me because we seem to be, I mean, we've lived through this almost age of confessional and it's all been on, you know, one or more yeah. boxes mm -hmm. like the one we're on or the TV. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about yeah. that, and I don't know if your search um, and this project opened up other ways that people do deal with forgiveness or ritualize it. Yeah, um, no, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I read, a, I spent a lot of time reading about the ways that people do have of trying to think about about forgiveness and there is no you know I don't know if there's a good if there is a good way right it, mm -hmm. it's there's there aren't we don't have a lot of contemporary rituals for we, I guess we have a lot of self-help around it um but in terms of rituals or acts or sort of physical ways of thinking about forgiveness like this bringing someone flowers but that's not quite the same thing mm. um but I like I like pushing I like this quote a lot on this idea that um you know, what, what happens when we're no longer um, leaving traces of ourselves behind, right? Or when, you know, I think there is this desire to sort of externalize experience or, or to, make our, um, to make our ideas physical. I mean, I think about that when I'm teaching, right? This desire to take an image and print it, to make, to make a photographic print of something. There's this, there's this real satisfaction, I think, in taking what you see and sort of creating something that, that's, that's tangible, that sort of gives, that gives voice to, to maybe not always psychic suffering, right? But to, um, but to a range of experiences that somehow is important to us humans in the physical, and that maybe maybe that will change in the future, right? Maybe we won't have that that need or that desire, but I think right now it's still there. Yeah, I I'm right here with a pen. I like <laughs> I I am one of those that actually mm -hmm. I thought about that recently uh, in connection with someone who has a paperless office. And mm -hmm. this idea of our very um, neuroscience of writing mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and what some of that um, actually does in terms of being uh, a preservation. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, and these, there's a few more examples from the book uh, where I feel like we, we get to see that you obviously waited a long time for that <laughs> to happen. <laughs> yeah, the long exposures and the different kinds of light that um, were usually in the spaces at the same time. So in this case, it's a, there's a stained glass window that's blue. And then there's like a little, I think it was like a lamp on the floor, like a light bulb. And that created this wonderful mesh of colors that's impossible to print. Wow. Yeah. It's the, the, there's a lushness to the color that does come through in the book. Um, I wanted to ask, when did you know it was a book? Um, I don't know. Um, I guess I, I, I thought that it would be when I had realized that I had a lot of images that I wanted to somehow think of a way of bringing them together. And at first I never thought about the work I never thought about the images as a book, actually, because someone had told me really early on that these images wouldn't make a good book because there was no narrative to them. Um, and then when I sort of realized that maybe I couldn't, that I didn't have to have narrative, right, that I, that I could think of um, a book as being something that has a, that has a, um, that doesn't, books don't always have to have a linearity to them, that books can be a more um, d- um, d- um, discursive experience. And then it was really um, my friend Sarah San Antoine who um, said this, this, should, this would be a great book, let's talk about bringing them together that gave me the confidence to go forward. And then did you conceptualize the book and and then reach out to the designers that you mentioned? Yes, mm-hmm. so I had this idea of the, 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 the kind of rhythm of dividing them into chapters and kind of having this rhythm where they sort of always usually start with the kneeler and then they go into and they sort of end with a more abstract image and then we go to the, um, to the next chapter. And that there's um, a list of the, um, every chapter has this kind of list of the confessional names, which sort of, I think, creates this kind of incantation. So I had this idea of how I wanted them all together, go together. And then Jessica was able to bring the, a really great sense, I, what I like is a sense of design um, to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then did you seek a publisher? No, I found the publisher um, before I found the, um, the designer. And yes, I did, I found the, um, the publisher um, they took on the, they were very generous to take on the project. And then um, I, I just, I kicked it the can down the road for many, many years, actually. I, I avoided bringing the book into existence because I, I, I just, um, yeah, I just, I just did <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Well, I was going to ask, and, and, and it, it, how did it affect that the book, I mean, those things happen, right? And mm-hmm. things have their time, but the fact that it happened during, uh, the pandemic, how mm. did that affect your experience? Um, I mean, I, I would have probably, you know, like like all of us who had things deferred during the pandemic, right? I would have rather that the book came out not during the pandemic, so I could have brought it to the to the um, you know all the fairs and things like that, and and mm-hmm. gone on gone on gone to bookshops with it and stuff like that. But you know, it is it is it is what it is, and I'm grateful that it came out. Mm-hmm. Can you? Can you still do that? Like still make its own um, like touring? I guess so. I, I don't know. I, I keep thinking that in the, in the, in the photo, in the photo world things, I, I feel like it's, it's so, it feels old now, right? Like it came out two years ago. It's, it's not, it doesn't, I'm not sure if, I don't know. I, perhaps, perhaps I could, that's a great mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. if something stayed the same for 250 years that you're <laughs> reflecting, let's give this some more time. But I, but I also think about the, um, the, um, the correlation, I, it feels so much a part of the conversation that we're having around um, uh, larger issues of reconciliation. And, and mm-hmm. frankly, uh, I mean, it, it sits in the space around um, sex abuse, mm-hmm. uh, whether in a organized religion or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that, yeah. 
Um, so um, Lisa Kessler and I are working on this project to bring both of our both of our bodies of work together to hopefully exhibit them together. So her perspective on the sex abuse scandal, the way that unfolded in Boston after the Boston Globe revelations, and then my pictures. And I think that would be a really exciting sort of life for this um, project to have. I absolutely do. I mean, I can't tell you how profound the impact of your panel was. Um, it's very, it's, it's so important. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that that continues. Um, I also wanted to just reflect this last quote of yours that I came across when you were being interviewed. And you said, I'm interested in the opacity of images, the way they can prevent us from seeing. So can you say more about <laughs> that? <laughs> Um, I guess that I do think that there's something to photography that it's, um, photography can, can, yeah, can keep you from sometimes entering into the world, right, that you get trapped, um, you get trapped on the surface of something and sometimes photography can prohibit you from, from seeing beyond that or seeing the different layers that are embedded. And I like images that draw attention to this kind of, um, the, I like images that draw attention to that surface. Um, that make you um, aware right from the get-go that photography is a surface and that there's more behind it. Um, I like images that sort of trip you up um, where, you, where you think that you understand something and then you realize that you can't and you expect to be able to get what's happening in the image and then you realize that, um, that it's not possible. Um, images that sort of draw attention to their, to, the, to their own surface and then that helps you to be aware of um, the, the, the complexity in the layers that are embedded in their creation. Okay, I think you've got more books in there to describe. <laughs> like, I think that that would be really interesting to take that insight of yours, um, almost premise, and really flush that out visually and in another form, I don't know, mm. written or whatever, <laughs> because that's really interesting. What happens is you are really um, peeling back layers mm -hmm. over and over, mm -hmm. right? Like here yeah. you're saying photography is supposed to be this way to help us see. And then when the actual object and experience gets in the way of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. seeing. Yeah. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think paradox is gonna get a real workout from you <laughs> and your work. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I also wanted to, I wanna be conscious of time and, and open up for questions from people that are with us, but I wanted to, um, to, to give this quote because um, again, it, it really felt to me like it was speaking to some of the foundational things that we were trying to, to talk about. And I'll put a link to this book. It's called um, Culture as Catalyst, which is really a compilation of essays that came through a project at Skidmore College. Um, nice. Yeah, it's really, really quite good. And this one is, it's talking a lot about representation and the whole idea of these lectures. And they were three-way panels so mm. I think that's another, that's the three-way mm -hmm, panel, mm -hmm, yeah. you know, this idea that you're getting more perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so they talk about how representation influences ideas and meaning and value. Mm. And all of those things are in relationship with power, equity, and truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's this like, it's big. And here's the quote. It says, thus the dynamics around representation inform our engagement with and positioning within the socio-political and economic systems that shape our lives. And these systems involve and affect individuals, communities, and nations in ways that change who we are what we think and feel and how we live. Mm. Uh, Isolde Brie Mare is the, the curator and the person who produced all of these this lecture series, but it really is upholding this idea. And this is what I think is so exciting about the work that 
you have done and Lisa is in the visual culture range, there is the power to transform. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have to recognize mm -hmm. the power that visual culture has and then respect it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and know that the change can go both ways, just like you described going in with somewhat of a, a negative uh, assumption and having that be challenged to be wider. Mm -hmm. And just this idea, your panel certainly transformed my experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. I like, I'll have to look at that. I look forward to seeing that, to seeing that book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's not, it's, I have it with me, but not next to me. I'm going to stop mm -hmm. sharing so we can go to um, being able to see each other and I can see who we're with. Thank you for such generative questions um, and for, for the invitation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, you're more than welcome. Thank you. All right. Thanks everyone. Thank you everyone for coming. Thank you guys. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, Sib. Thank you so thank much, you. Sib. You're welcome. And, and thank you, studio visits. I'm open for visits. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, share this resource and subscribe. Consider joining our live online conversations and participating in our question and answer sessions with our guests. Registration for these free Zoom talks is on my website under Happening Now, Attend. Links on our episode notes take you to a video of this conversation with visual content. Your participation is essential. Thanks for being a part of our global conversation.